Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and my guest today is the creator of a project that's been turning heads on the West Coast. Nathan Smith is a photographer and the man behind Profiling Black Excellence. It's a photo project aimed at sparking conversations around race and racial profiling in Canada. The project just spent the month of February at the Fortune Gallery in downtown Victoria, but the work is not over yet. Here's his story. So I, I went and saw your exhibit uh, just this past weekend, the Profiling Black Excellence exhibition, and you know, really, really powerful thing to see. I guess what I'm curious is to hear more about what prompted this for you. So what originally started the the project was one night when I was I had gone out with some friends. It was late in December and I was dressed up. So you know, I I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was feeling all right. I went out with some friends and on my walk home, there was a couple in front of me and um they had actually stepped off from a side road and entered like they went into my pathway and I ended up staying behind them for maybe like a block and a half or two blocks but for the entire time that I was behind them they would continuously turn around and look at me and then walk faster to the point where they ended up jaywalking across two main streets in downtown uh, Victoria here and then once they had crossed the second street looked back saw that I was still at the first stop they then slowed their pace quite dramatically so I knew that it was because of me why they were walking so fast and, you know, like I definitely can appreciate if it was a woman or a group of women that were walking, I would have been totally like it's yeah, they should walk fast. Like men can be quite scary and can do a lot of harm historically. That has been the case. So that would have been understandable. But it was a a couple like what I'm assuming is a straight man and his wife. And so I got home. And I set up my camera on my tripod. I took a few photos of myself to kind of just show myself that I'm not a scary person. I'm not anyone to be afraid of. I'm just a regular person. And when I was about to upload the the photo and the story to Instagram, I literally was about to hit upload. And then I was like, I wonder how many other people this has happened to. Right. So I didn't press upload I decided to hold off and the next person of color that I encountered which happened to be one of the folks in the project he had stopped to just pet my dogs they were outside and I was like hey man have you ever experienced any um, racism or racial profiling in Victoria and his response was my man of course and that's kind of how it started I just started approaching random people of color and asking them if they've had any experiences like this. And the answer has, from almost every single POC that I've asked, been yes, I have had some experience like that. That time for you with the couple that was walking ahead of you, I mean, had that been your first? Had there been others prior? Was it, what, what was it about that one that made it the one where you wanted to do something about it? It hadn't been my first uh, brush with racism to that effect. I've had... Um, multiple occasions had people following me around stores which is one of the reasons why I always try to dress like as well as possible whenever I leave the house to minimize the assumption that I'm a criminal which 
I shouldn't have to. I could. Mm-hmm. I should be able to go to a store in pajamas and not be followed around if I want to, but that's not the case. So that hadn't been the first occasion, and it hasn't been the last. I've had one gentleman refer to me as a thing to somebody else right in front of me as if I wasn't standing there. Mm-hmm. I've had people um, like touching my hair without asking people like saying the n-word around me which is it's so it's been a a number of things I don't know what it was about that one night I just something clicked I was angry and I just needed to prove to myself that I wasn't somebody to be afraid of so you you asked this first uh who was the first person that the guy when who wanted to pet your dogs uh who was in the project too his name is Parker. Parker, okay. So, yeah, Parker. So, you, you met Parker. So, how do you then go about turning this into what became the, the Black Excellence, or profiling Black Excellence? I wanted to call it the Black Excellence Project. How do you go from meeting Parker to then getting more and more people involved? Well, I never originally thought it was going to be a big project. I thought it was just going to be like a few people. But I thought, you know what, let me start up an Instagram account. And then I had been toying around with other website services. And I was like, you know what, whatever, I'll just make a website, just throw something together. Um, It was really the massive number of people that I had spoken to that had said, yes, they've had experiences like this, and they were willing to share it that kind of grew it into what it was. And a few months in, I kind of realized that it would be really cool to have this project in like an actual physical space because it it's one thing to look at these photos and read these stories on your phone or on your computer but to see the photos printed large and to see the stories there and you get like a life size the faces that you're looking at are life size they're mm-hmm. real people it's very hard to distance yourself from it when you're looking at them um, that size so it kind of just grew into what it was and I just had to ask a lot of people for a lot of help. And next thing you know, we had the gallery launch. Right. There's something I think too about in in a project that's about Victoria and about the lower mainland, about taking up a physical space in that place. And and again, having those photos, not just be on a website where you have to look for them, but them being kind of right there in front of you. Uh, more visceral in that way. Uh, what what was it? So you're talking to these people and, and meeting new people. What stuck with you the most from those conversations? What has continued to stick with you from them? I think what stuck with me the most is the catharsis that I think that most of the people in the project have felt talking about these experiences. There seems to be a common theme of dismissal whenever talking about these things. Uh, Very frequently people think that Victoria is exempt from racism. It's not something that happens here. And so in a lot of cases, whenever you have folks sharing these experiences, people of color sharing these experiences, very frequently they're met with, well, I'm sure that this was like just an isolated incident. It was a one-time thing. Or are you really sure that it was about race? But as a person of color, when it is about race, you can tell. There's just something about the interaction that you know that's what it, it was about. So what stuck with me the most really has been that feeling of unity, that catharsis. It's it's easy, or it seems to have been easy for these people of color that I've spoken with to talk about these experiences, probably because they're sharing them into a group of people who've also had the same experiences so they know that the people who are reading them and the people who 
have also shared they've gone through the same thing like we all have had this shared experience together you want to be I'm, I'm assuming you want to be seen this is true for other things too you want to be seen and acknowledged and and not made to feel like you're the only one right exactly and i think that it's definitely afforded those people that feeling what if anything has surprised you from the conversations that you've had hearing other stories from people i think well, not much surprises me anymore, but what originally surprised me a lot was whenever I was talking about the project with people, particularly with white people in Victoria and Vancouver, the response has almost always been one of shock. Um, people seem very reluctant, or not reluctant, they're very surprised that this project is something that needs to happen. Um, the reason it doesn't surprise me anymore other than I've seen it so much now, is that I can't really blame people for not knowing about it. Mm. I think a lot of times, like, I think that white people really need to do the research to find out about these experiences. But with that being said, I don't know that enough people in Victoria and Vancouver have friends or enough friends who are people of color or that they're close enough with to really have heard any of those stories and know that those are things that happen to them. Uh, and so that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm doing the project is I'm trying to add to the list of resources for people who want to know what's happening. Hmm. That kind of brings up a story of my own uh, in meeting a friend and, and she was from Toronto and talking about Victoria. She was asking me what I thought about the city having, I mean, I, I moved here from Kitchener-Waterloo, as we were talking before, and so she was asking me about what I thought about Victoria, and I think it's great, it's beautiful, it's nice to be by the ocean, and uh, to have, you know, the mountains so close by, and I asked her, and she's like, it's so white here, <laughs> and, it's, and for me, being from Kitchener-Waterloo, it's something I, I barely would have even thought about, but then as soon as she mentioned it, it's like, of course, like, how do you, how do you not realize something like that? Um, so I think that idea of, but but and yet it it doesn't sadly it doesn't surprise me at all that that these w- things would happen here or anywhere else, um, which is I think maybe one of the things about this project. I mean it's, it's centered on Victoria and, and Greater Vancouver, but really it sounds to me like it could be stories from anywhere in Canada, uh, and the stories would be the same. This project isn't just about the black experience. I mean, it's called Profiling Black Excellence, but you've invited other people of color, whether it's indigenous peoples or from wherever, to take part in this. What led to that decision? Um, I think what led to the decision was I have friends um, who, they're not black, but they are people of color, and they've also had these experiences. And so when they had mentioned to me or when I told them about the project originally they had mentioned to me that they also had experiences like this I thought to myself why not expand it I mean it it does have a focus on black people and I think the majority of the people in the project are black people but I just figured this is such a universal it's such a universal experience for people of color or racialized people that I might as well talk to everybody that I can. I mean, the more stories that we have, the more people will realize that this is something that it doesn't even just affect black people, but it affects everybody who is a person of color. How did you go about finding the people for this project? Some people I 
literally walked up to them on the side of the street or had just mentioned to them whenever I encountered them if they were working. I didn't want to take up their time while they were working, but I'd just let them know what I was doing, leave them a card. Hopefully they got in touch with me, and they did. Uh, some people I reached out to via email or on Instagram, and I heard back from pretty much everybody. Was that a process? Like, are you a naturally outgoing person to be to be able to go up to somebody just kind of off the street or by, you know, sending an email out of the blue to, to people? Or was that a bit uncomfortable to say, hey, I'm doing this? Um, I think in the past, it definitely would have been more difficult for me. But I work in customer service, so I have to approach people that I don't know every single day. So it was pretty easy for me, I think, to just walk up to people and say hi. And as well, I think for coming from a black person to another person of color it's a really easy topic to broach with somebody that i don't know because even if i don't know them i know that we have that commonality being people of color one of the things that i found in common from the many different stories there it seemed like often it centered around this idea of making other people comfortable with your existence like having to go out of your way to make sure that other people are comfortable with you being in a space uh, whatever that space is like could you speak to that so I think the difference between that I've seen at least for the most part between racism in Victoria and racism as it is expressed and displayed in uh, the states or other places is that in those places it tends to manifest itself as uh, hatred and like perhaps an outward violence towards people of color whereas in victoria the racism seems to be more fear-based which must i can only assume stem from a lack of understanding of what these people are like what they are here for and you know like who they are so what i can only imagine with regards to this sense of making other people feel uncomfortable or make other people feel comfortable with our presence is, I mean, we're not really going anywhere. I'm not going to leave Victoria just because some people are afraid of me. But what I can do, and I, I don't think that it should be the responsibility of the people of color to make people feel comfortable with our our presence. Right. Um, what I can do and which I'm trying to do with the project is help white people understand how their behavior can be hurtful or problematic to people of color. Um, and I, I guess I should say too, I want to make sure when, I, when I'm asking you these things that I'm, I'm not, I want you to ask, speak from your own experience, because I, I don't want to try and get you to speak for, you know, a collective group that is <laughs> all, all have so many different experiences, but, uh, but just in, in any case, apply it to your own case, whatever that would be. Um, so, but yeah, that was the one thing that stuck with me, which just sounds like exhausting work to have to make people comfortable all the time with, with being around. Uh, the one line that uh, really lingered with me was Jeff had this line about having to survive other people's fear. I think that's kind of similar to what you were talking about there. Is, is that, uh, does that ring true in your case or how would you describe that? Um, it really, it really does, unfortunately. I still kind of have to do it. So when I'm at work, for example, whereas a lot of my coworkers are very there, they have no problems with just coming up on a customer and talking to them. I'm very mindful to make sure that I'm not startling anybody. I don't want anybody to be afraid as well. Whenever I'm in a store, you know, if I'm wearing a hoodie, the hoodie always comes down. I'm not sure if that has to do with that fear or if it's just my 
nature, but that's one thing that I noticed that I do. And like I said before, making sure that I'm well-dressed whenever I leave the house to make sure that nobody assumes that I'm a person of ill repute. But I am, I'm kind of exhausted from it now. I don't, I don't really want to do it anymore. I want to be able to go to the grocery store in my pajamas and not feel like I'm going to be judged or like other people are going to be afraid of me. But I will probably continue to do it anyways because, as Jeff mentioned, it's kind of for our survival. Right. Yeah. Uh, I might still judge somebody for going to the store in their pajamas, but I'll, 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 it's an equal opportunity judgment on that part. No, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. Uh, the the other one, uh, one of your one of your subjects or people that you profiled, uh, Kemi, uh, is called profiling. It's not a one-off, but an everyday kind of lived experience, which I think, to me, and granted, this is you know only what I can assume or infer. Uh, this idea that that's why sometimes it can be hard to maybe identify isolated incidents because it's such an ongoing thing and it's maybe an accumulation of events instead of one major event, although sometimes there are those major events too. What's that sense in your your own experience? Is it, um, like, what's the day-to-day like? Um, I think for me, the day-to-day experience that I've had with that sort of erasure of culture is a very severe lack of diversity. Mm. Um, I know that there are Jamaican people here, or there are other Jamaican people here, but there aren't really any Jamaican restaurants. There are some Caribbean restaurants, but there isn't anywhere really for most Caribbean people to get a taste of their own culture. Whereas that is something that you would find in Toronto. They have massive boroughs with, uh, you'd have like a Jamaican community, there's a Trinidadian community, There are African communities. I I think there's maybe a sizable African community here. I haven't been too privy to it, which I am working on changing. I got to kind of experience some of my own heritage. But for the most part, it just manifests itself as a, a lack of seeing myself represented anywhere. Back to this project. I mean, it's all about the project. But in terms of putting together this exhibition, how was it to find a physical space to hold this was was that a challenge in its own right or was it was it easy enough to approach you know a place and and get an instant you know yeah let's do this um it was actually pretty easy i ended up reaching out to a number of different galleries most of them i never heard back from some of them said sorry we don't showcase artists own work which doesn't make sense to me as a gallery but I'm not a curator, so I'm not going to comment too much on that. I did hear back from Allison at the Fortune Gallery, and she said, yeah, that sounds good. Let's have a chat. So I went down to the gallery, and actually what really um, what really made me think that this was a place that I wanted to have the, the show in was when I first checked it out, there was a painting, and... It's going to get real political right here. Mm -hmm. So there was a painting of this woman. Um, It was a black woman with an afro. She was wearing a tutu and she was standing on top of the world. And she had Donald Trump's head in her hand. And he was wearing a princess tiara and had blushed cheeks. And I thought that that painting was such a very obvious political standpoint in the direction that I myself lean that 
I was like, you know what, this is an awesome space. So I started talking to Alison. She's the owner of the space. And the rest of the year had been booked up, but she didn't have anything for the following year, which was this year. And I said, what about February for Black History Month? And she was like, you know what, I love it. Let's do it. So we booked it right then and there pretty early on. So yeah, finding a gallery, that was the only one that I had any positive feedback from, but it was the perfect one. So mm. while it may have been, it would have been harder, I think, if Alison hadn't said yes, um, I didn't find it difficult to get the space. Right. Donald Trump is such a perfect figurehead, I think, for these sorts of discussions and, and tensions because what we've seen you know, since his presidency has been this sort of permission for people who are racists to be more vocally racist or to be more outward in in those sorts of things in you know things that they might have kept to themselves or their friends before now they're feeling more comfortable going out and saying and so you have this rise of the you know so-called alt-right groups and so I think it does bring a lot of these sorts of issues more to the forefront now and there's this discussion of is it better to know you know to know just how racist people are or is it better to have that under the surface and I don't I don't I don't know an answer there but but what is um, what have you noticed in in those? I guess it's been it's coming up on this would be four years now or three years since um, since Trump has been in power. The the sorts of change in attitudes, if any, that you've picked up on in your own experience. I haven't noticed too many changes in attitudes up here. I think that honestly, the people in Victoria that have been racist have behave the same way since before his presidency and they're going to continue to behave behave the same way afterwards i have however heard a story from a customer of mine at christmas this is the story that he told me at christmas time he was visiting with his wife's brother and uh, his wife's brother the brother's girlfriend was there as well and he's known the brother since he was four years old and he's known the girlfriend for the last 17 years and at this Christmas dinner, the girlfriend was talking about how happy she was that Donald Trump was the president mm -hmm. because he was doing everything that he could to keep out the... And then she proceeded to list out all the derogatory terms of people of color mm. for like Asian people, Indian people, Latino people, and black people. She just listed out all the derogatory names for them. And then her boyfriend, so my customer's wife's brother then proceeded to agree with all of these sentiments. I don't think that he repeated the words, but he did agree with everything that she was saying. And so this guy I was talking to, um, he said, you know, I've known these people for decades and I had no idea that this is the type of person that they were like, these were the type of people they were like. Right. Um, you know, I expected that from like somebody in the deep south in the states, but I never expected it from somebody who was born and raised in Victoria. And yet here we are. And now we can't, I can't see them the same anymore. So I think that uh, I've been really fortunate to surround myself with um, either white allies or people of color who share similar values to myself. But I think there probably has been a serious shift in what, or there may have been a, a shift in what white people who are left-leaning have seen from some of their friends and family members who are perhaps more conservative in their views. Mm. Yeah, I, I think those those discussions probably are brought up more often at you know family gatherings and dinner tables now, just by virtue of uh, Trump kind of coming up everywhere uh, at all times. Back to this notion, though, I think of I mean I think Victoria 
it's 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 about Victoria, but it is about I think so much more than Victoria and, and about I think Canada in general or or many different places. But but what has been your experience? I mean, you haven't just lived in Victoria. What's been your experience in the different places that you've lived uh, with this sort of thing across Canada or elsewhere? Uh, a story that comes to mind. I have two actually. Um, they both took place in Kitchener Waterloo. One was when I was at my workplace in Ontario. I worked at a small repair shop as a service advisor there. There was one customer who really did not like me. It didn't matter what I said or did. She just did not want to hear anything from me. In fact, I once, I just updated her on her car. I told her something about it and what it needed. And she was livid. She was like yelling at me on the phone. She didn't want anything to do with me. She didn't want to hear it. So I had my boss call her. And he told her the exact same thing with the same words that I had been using. And she was so grateful for him to relay that information to her. And based on all my experiences with her, she had never liked me from the very first time that she met me. And I try to be as polite with every single person as I can be. I don't, I am a person that doesn't like when people dislike me. So I try to be, I, you know, I try to be positive to everyone. But it just didn't take with her. She was not at all entertained by my presence. So that one, I think, was... I'm pretty sure that was a race-based incident. I've, like, had my doubts, but there is nothing else that I can identify that was different between my boss and myself other than the color of my skin. Another thing that comes to mind was uh, there was a pickup truck in the parking lot of the mall there. And the guy had a massive Confederate flag sticker across the back window of his truck, which I think for fans of the Confederate flag don't necessarily always realize that it's a racist symbol, but it is. I mean, if you look at the history, the flag that people have up on their vehicles and their porches nowadays is a flag that was made in the 60s for the segregation movement. The original Confederate flag looked completely different. And so all they're doing is using a flag that was used for pro-segregation. So that wasn't really something that happened to me, but I felt like the person that was inside that truck was a danger to myself. So the very first instinct I had, and I feel pretty badly about this, was to go peel off the sticker from his truck. But the person I was with at the time pointed out that he was in the truck and that was probably a bad idea. So I just left it alone and walked away. But that has really stuck out to me is that person, he very likely has no regard for the safety of people of color or their feelings or emotions at all because he is a supporter of the Confederate South. I had two, while you were talking, I brought up two memories of my own. Uh, this is kind of on the edge of Kitchener in Bridgeport. There's this way I would drive to and from work. And coming home from work back into Kitchener-Waterloo, there's this street, kind of a side street that would turn off to avoid traffic. And I think two houses side by side had different like lawn ornaments that were like kind of black exploitation esque like lawn gnomes but you know for clearly caricatures and I'm, and I would drive past them every day I'm thinking how is that appropriate and I, I had this idea of okay can I can I like go in and like steal these and like throw them out or what do I do but I, I never knew what to, what the answer was. If I was supposed to just like leave a message on their front door, like this is so clearly wrong. Um, so they're probably still there. But uh, yeah, it, it was a shock. Uh, probably shouldn't have been a shock. For anybody who is listening from Kitchener, Ontario, if you see those gnomes, 
take them. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You should actually leave them a message. I think that would be the best thing to do. There you go. So that that's the appropriate way to go about those things. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the the photography aspect. Uh, these these pictures. Uh, what what were you trying to capture with the people that you did uh, end up photographing? I was really trying to relay um, the notion, which I think is very easy to see when you look at the pictures, that all of the people in the project are just regular people. They're just like you and me. They're happy people. And they're just trying to go about their day-to-day lives. I was also trying to capture their likeness. I'm not sure how you do that with a photo, but somehow you just know when you do. And I, I think I did a pretty good job. I'm really happy with how they turned out. But yeah, the main thing I was trying to do was just relay that the people in the project are real people. And they're regular people. They have feelings. They have emotions. And they just want to live. How was the process of the doing the interviews? Like, how, how long were you talking to these people? Very, um, like, was it, were you sitting down in a formal setting? Is it just kind of standing, uh, chatting with somebody if you bumped into them? How did that go? Um, in every case, it was very informal. For some of them, I would walk and talk with them and then take some photographs, and then they would either text or email me a statement afterwards. Uh, more recently, what I've been doing is walking and talking with people, recording the entire conversation and then photographing them. Because I found that there were some conversations that I was having with the folks before I started recording the conversations. And there were things that they had said that I wished that I had I had written down. Like I think about my conversation with Rick in the project. The text associated with Rick's photo was... Um, the text from his Instagram story the night that that incident happened when he was assaulted. And I had reached out to him on Instagram. A friend of mine showed me his post. And we ended up meeting downtown. We walked to the Inner Harbor. And we sat and talked for like three hours. And it wasn't until two hours into the conversation that I started photographing him. But that three-hour conversation had so much depth to it. And Bear in mind, this is the first time that he and I had ever met. And we were having this like exceptionally deep conversation. And some of the things that he and I had said to each other, I wish that I had those transcribed because there was so much, um, so much thought and so much pain in some of the, the words that he was saying. So the process has been since then that I record the conversations because I want to capture as much of the essence of that conversation as possible. Let's talk about the photography aspect. What what got you into photography in the first place? I think what originally got me into photography was when I was backpacking Europe about two and a half years ago. I found that I really enjoyed composing photos. I really wanted to take the picture that I wanted to see online. So I ended up doing that. And I guess it was two years ago now. I quit my job and my last job and my mom said, you know, Nathan, I know you've been kind of in a rut recently, not working, but, you know, I want something for you to enjoy while you've got this time. So take my camera and just go take some pictures. And I did. I started taking pictures of things. I took pictures of bicycles. I took pictures of flowers, like all the regular stuff. It was after I took those photos of myself and then started photographing people for the project, I was like, you know, taking photos of people is such a great way to 
draw folks in to get them to read the story. And this is a good way to capture the essence of those people. Um, it was after starting to photograph the people for the project that I realized I have a very serious love for portrait photography. And so that's how I got started. That's how I got started in photography in general. And then with a quote unquote specialization in portraiture. You mentioned the traveling Europe part. I think travel can be such a way to both, I mean, you're, you're discovering new places, but also to allow you to see where you're from in a different light too when you come back. You're seeing it kind of a fresh lens. What have you noticed that travel changed for you in terms of maybe what it's like to be a person of color in, in other places and then coming back in Canada? Have you noticed things differently? Um, believe it or not, I've actually found that people in my travels are much more, I want to say, positive and receptive to me as a person of color, although that may be because I'm Jamaican. And when I travel, I travel as a Jamaican, not as a, a black Canadian, and everybody loves Bob Marley. Mm -hmm. So I think that people respond very positively to the, the whole Jamaica thing. But like I've certainly heard horror stories of people traveling, like people of color traveling, and I know that there are several blogs and websites with guides on the best places to go and see as a person of color in order to avoid running into negative experiences. But my experience for the most part has been quite positive. And in all honesty, I would love to spend the rest of my life traveling. All I want to do is see the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, likewise. <laughs> uh, being being Jamaican, was that were you born in Jamaica and then came to Canada? Or were you born in Canada but had Jamaican uh, heritage? Uh, what what was it? So I was born in Toronto, um, Mount Sinai Hospital. Represent. Uh, <laughs> uh, then when I was less than a year old, my family picked up and moved to Barbados where my dad started a company. Um, he was a coastal engineer, which was awesome for my upbringing because it meant all the site visits were to the beach. So I spent a ton of time as a youth on the beach. Uh, my sister was born in 1995, so I was three and a half years old at this point. And then shortly after she was born, we moved to Jamaica after my grandfather died. And my, my dad is from Jamaica, and so his parents had been living there. So his father died, um, and we went over there to live with my grandmother. So I got to grow up. I spent 18 years there in the house that my dad had grown up in, which was awesome. And then five years ago, I kind of just needed a change. And so I came back to Canada, which was easy for me because I was born here and have a Canadian passport. Uh, what I was most interested in about that part is then to have different experiences of what it's like to be a person of color in any given place. So that, I mean, being born in Canada at one year old, you're, you're too young <laughs> to necessarily notice how people treat you and interact with you. So to go from Barbados to Jamaica to then Canada, how did those attitude changes, uh, how did you pick up on those sorts of things and how you were being uh, responded to by people? Um, so... Jamaica, I think it's not really a racist society. Uh, Jamaica is very much a classist society. Um, that's how they judge people is by how much money you have. And so it's possible to climb the social ladder by getting more money. But there isn't really any real sense of 
racism. And I mean, I recognize that I have privilege in this scenario because I'm lighter skinned. Jamaica is a majority black country. And it is still rooted in that old colonial racism. That's what the classist structure is based on is there is this assumption that the lighter you are, the more money you have and the better you talk. And so it is easier for lighter people to to get jobs in Jamaica. So I guess it is also kind of a little bit of a racist structure, but you're not really exposed or at least growing up, I was not really exposed to sort of the struggles of people of color in North America. It was only after moving to Victoria, and this was around the time that you had the um, the killings of Trayvon Martin and um, Eric Garner, and like all of these people of color, these black people were being killed in the States in particular, that I just remember very distinctly one night, I was just bawling my eyes out over the whole scenario. I called my dad, and he was like, what's wrong, son? And I was like, you know, dad, they're killing our people. So... That was, for me, the the moment when I really, like, woke up to what was happening. And I had had experiences of racism at this point um, here. This was after the a couple of the scenarios where folks were following me around mm-hmm. stores. But I kind of just brushed it off at that point. It was really after seeing all of these unpunished murders that I really was sort of awakened to the plight of people of color. This exhibition that you've done, the Profiling Black Excellence, this be your first photo exhibition then? Yes, it is. Uh, I have never done this before. I mean, you've talked about this already, but what are you hoping that people get from this? If they're to see this, if they're to see it in person, if they're able to visit the space or at least check it out online if they live somewhere else? What I really want people to get from this whole project is... For people of color, I just want them to know that they're not alone. These are shared experiences and, you know, like I'm here for them. And we as people of color, we're all here. We're in this together. For white people, for allies, I think they may be able to pick up on certain ways that some of their behavior is perhaps not the best in some regards. Uh, Maybe the way that they talk to people or that they respond to stories from people of color. And for other people who really don't consider themselves racist, but also aren't necessarily doing anything anti-racist, I want them to recognize what the situation is really like, like what life is like for black people in Canada and for people of color, and perhaps be able to call out problematic behavior when they see it. Um, If they hear somebody say something and they think back, Oh, you know, that's actually something that I saw on the Profiling Black Excellence project. I should actually talk to them about this. But like, hey, just so you know, what you are saying or doing right now is not the best. Um, Not the best way to go about this scenario. Because I think a lot of times when people of color tackle those issues and call them out, they're very frequently gaslit by the people that they're calling out. And so I think that racist white people will more hear... Uh, and respond positively to criticisms from other white people that they trust, as opposed to a black person calling them out. They're going to just think that they're oversensitive or overly sensitive. With this project, I mean, the, the gallery space might be a limited time frame, but where do you see this going post, you know, this this physical space? It is going on, or ongoing rather. Um, 
there is somebody else that I interviewed right before the gallery exhibit. Unfortunately, it was too late to get them in the gallery, but I have yet to post that story. There are more people that I have interviewed and haven't posted their story and more people I have yet to interview. Someone I may even be meeting up with this long weekend. And so the project is going to be going on. One thing that I am kind of adamant about now is as long as there's racism in Canada, I want this project to keep going. And there's there are so many experiences from people of color. There are so many stories to tell that I think it's something that can very easily continue going on. And I wouldn't mind seeing it in another gallery space. So I'm, um, I had a number of people asking me if I had any plans to take the show on the road. And, you know, I've already got a lot of the photos printed. It wouldn't be a stretch to print more photos. Uh, so maybe it'll be in another gallery, perhaps in Vancouver next year. It wouldn't be anything this year, but... Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, maybe next year I'll have it in another gallery in Vancouver and who knows where from there. We, we need to get somebody to give you a travel grant to be able to go across the country and get people's stories from other places because uh, that would be really cool to see. What, what's been the most significant thing that's come out of this thus far for you, that the things that have stuck with you the most, whether that's a rewarding thing or just a, a meaningful thing for you about this? I think... What really has stuck with me the most has been the reaction from people of color. Um, the folks that worked down at the gallery told me about the first Friday after I had set up everything at the gallery, there was a group of indigenous women that walked in off the street because they recognized one of the people in the project. And they actually spent a full hour there. They walked around, they read all of the stories. And by the end of it, they were actually crying. And um, similarly, right after I had finished setting up on the first day, there was a black woman that was walking by the gallery and she was peering in from outside. So I beckoned for her to come in and she did. She said that she recognized Kemi who's in the project. And so she asked me about it. She said, what is this? And I told her and she said, you know, I work in government and like, these are my lived experiences every single day. It's so it's amazing to see this project here and know that there are people talking about these issues. And she was so excited to bring her husband and her two kids to come and see the project that um, just like reading through, she only got through a couple of the stories before she started tearing up. And just knowing that she feels validated in her experiences and knows that like, she's not crazy. These are real things that are really happening. Knowing that that had been her experience really has made the whole thing worth it for me. And that's really what stuck the most is how impactful it seems to be for people of color to see and feel this bond or this um, connection to it. Any final thoughts from you, things we haven't talked about already? Um, you know, if you want to stay up to date on the project, there is the website, it's profilingblackexcellence.com. Uh, there is also an Instagram page for it um, because it's easier, I think, to stay up to date with an Instagram account than a website. You can also search Profiling Black Excellence. You'll find it. I think what I really want to say is if you are a person of color listening to this right now, know that you're not alone. Um, your experiences are real and, you know, I hear you and I feel you. And if you're a white person listening to this right now, you know, it, 
the fact that you're listening, that you've gotten this far with the, the interview, <laughs> I can only imagine that you want to help and you want to be a good person. Just listen to your coworkers and your friends who are people of color and, you know, validate them. Let them know that they are real and that their experiences are real. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor and hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and most of all, tell someone else you think might like it. If you want to get in touch, a few ways you can. You can send me an email at storyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash storyuntoldpodcast. You can also get in touch on Twitter at martin underscore bauman. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was A Story Untold. See you next time. Mm-hmm.